Kim Stanley Robinson read along podcast. That's right, where we read along with Kim Stanley Robinson. Or it's the commentary track <laughs> of his novels, as I call it. Um, it's the bonus feature where two people who are not Kim Stanley Robinson talk about things that he wrote. Yeah. So if you're if you're here because you heard his interviews on Chapo Trap House or The Dig, you won't be listening to his great voice here. You'll just be hearing us babble on about one of his books called 2312. That's right. Uh, which and only only a handful of pages from that book too. <laughs> exactly. We'll be talking about three paragraphs for two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. Yeah. Um, and today we're talking about the run of chapters that go from the chapter called Swan and the Inspector uh, up to, but not including the chapter called Swan and the Vulcanoids. Ending with extracts 12. Ending with extracts 12. Yes. It's so, I feel so awkward right now, like (laughs) starting the episode. (laughs) So weird. Yeah. Like we've never, we've never done this before. I wanted to bring up something before we started, which is interest, which is kind of a KSR adjacent (laughs) thing, which is a a political thing happening here in Maine, in Maine's second district. Um, which is everything besides Portland, basically. So there's this thing called question one that's on the ballot in <laughs> in November. Is question one, what is the meaning of life? It almost. <laughs> so like there's this thing called the CMP corridor, the central main power corridor. It runs from a new hydroelectric. It's going to, it's supposed to run from a new hydroelectric plant in Canada down into Maine and then distribute energy all over New England. Mm-hmm. It's it's in a weird legal status or something because there's a question on the ballot that's, it's also one of these ballot questions that's like super um, convolutedly worded. So it's like, if you vote yes on, the, on question one, you will be rejecting the corridor. <laughs> if you vote no, you will be saying yes to the corridor. Yeah, yeah. Classic ballot measure question. But the issue is because the corridor has to run through like basically virgin wood and like it has to like cut a 53 mile swath of trees down to put these power lines. But it's hydroelectric power, which means that the folks who are backing, who are saying yes, to question one, meaning no to the power line, are fossil fuel interests. Because if we don't have the hydroelectric power, right. we'll keep burning like natural gas. Right, right. So it's a real, like, it's a fascinating, like, ecological politics question. 
Because also like another issue is like a lot of the benefit, financial benefit, I guess, is rumored to be going toward Massachusetts and Boston rather than staying here in Maine. So it's like, and also it's a Canadian company pumping power down here. So it's like international borders, right. interstate borders. And then do you want hydroelectric power? Like it's a devil's choice, basically. It's like, do you want hydroelectric power, but have to cut a 53 mile swath through the forest? Or do you want the forest to remain pristine, but have to keep burning natural gas? Right. Right. I mean, you know, one might think as, as, um, so often one does, there's probably actually another option there. You would think there would be, <laughs> you might think that there was another option. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's fucked up. Yeah. So it's very bizarre. And, um, <clears throat> just trying, just trying to like find out the history behind it. Cause these signs about like, no to the mm -hmm. corridor or whatever have been up here since I've lived in Maine, like since I moved here over two years ago, um, I think initially the project got approved, but now there there's one more loophole that they can like stop it from happening um, that they're trying to exploit. And uh, um, so, yeah, it's very, huh. and then everyone is very, now that also the, the campaign for no to the question is, running on the, they keep changing. This is how you know the right answer is yes to the question rather than no is because the people who are opposed to it keep changing their tactics like wildly. So now it's say no to retroactive laws, like something about like you would then be making this thing that was legal, illegal, which is bad. But I was kind I'm also kind of like, isn't that how like a lot of laws work? Yeah, right. Things they used to be legal and now they're not they anymore. Exactly. They undo previous laws. <laughs> no, no on retroactivity. Vote no on retroactivity. Look to the future. <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of these bizarre things that like I I I feel like, yeah, as you said, there there must be another option. And also like that the it, it's it's only a choice that that's been mod, like artificially created by the like limited market of actual ideas and power. Yeah. Uh, because because some of the issues in terms of like oh well it's a Canadian company like who cares if it's right, a Canadian right. company if it's like clean power also like hydroelectric isn't necessarily clean power like you had to flood a valley and like destroy right. an ecosystem to get that dam there so right. like it's just this like whole um panoply of like bad decisions and bad choices that um that i think stan is really good at writing about yeah right because like we're in a situation where there aren't like there's no like silver bullet great um you know a solution where everybody is going to be happy about every single thing that happens. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that, um, uh, I was just talking with somebody about ministry for the future and we were talking about like, um, the way in which that novel, but also like the Mars books too, like, you know, do such a good job of like representing like, uh, what the sort of like historical and other configurations are that produce like scenes of political disagreement, right? I mean, in ways that then allow you to think like 
oh, there could be other options, but also make it sort of understandable the way in which they're dividing lines, as opposed to those dividing lines being like, you know, I don't know, uh, something like highly abstract, right? They become like, they emerge very much out of like, you know, these concrete circumstances that people are trying to negotiate. Um, Although in this case, it's like, you know, there ought to be an option where like you don't have like power being privately owned and right. thus, right? You know. Well, that's another thing that's big in Maine because there 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 is a big push to to just basically do you know um do a pub do a public utility for for electricity in Maine. And of course that's being resisted by the governor. I think I think a measure passed by the state legislature, but the governor vetoed it, or there's just all kinds of, <clears throat> you know, it's just like political cowardice and like being bought by certain interests or whatever that is pre- right, preventing. Right, right. Cause I think public, you know, pu- uh, electricity as a public utility in Maine pulls very, very well, but you get just these mendacious politicians or mendacious on like certain level certain issues where it's like why can't you just be good on every issue (laughs) (laughs) anyway yeah yeah uh so when do you vote on that i guess early voting has already started but it's like election day november 2nd oh yeah right also there's like you know city council and school board um elections where like a lot of the seats are being are like on a people are running unopposed which also seems just bizarre like they're nonpartisan elections too you can't tell if somebody's a republican or a democrat you can't Uh, there was a there was like a candidates forum last week where i read the summary of it and literally every candidate like most candidates didn't show up if they were running unopposed they didn't show up and then it was all on zoom or whatever and then the people who did show up were people running for the same, you know, running against each other had exactly the same platform and message. (laughs) We need to be supporting our teachers and our students and making sure that they have the best education in the world. And that's right. There you go. I don't understand. (laughs) Like, why are you running position? It's like people with no politics running to be, to hold political office is just, yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Well, the great state of Maine. Yeah. A lot of potential. A lot of, a lot of potential here. <laughs> okay. So anyway, that was a little digression, a little, uh, you know, Robinson adjacent. Yeah, uh, that was great. Interest. So this section of chapters from Swan and the Inspector to Extracts 12 is pretty intense. And it's like very Swan focused, which I like too, because uh, the book is really kind of, for me, it's becoming more like Swan's great gradual awakening or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Like she's really coming to learn a lot about the solar system that she thought she knew a lot about, but turns out there's all these things going on that she never really paid attention to or had to pay attention to. Um, And that, you know, Alex's death kind of catalyzes this, you know, interest in her or like, awake, yeah, like awakens her to these broader things going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is interestingly that she's like the sort of, you know, that um, classic kind of protagonist who the story is about how the protagonist like comes into the world, you right. know, comes comes to see or understand the world. I want I mean, I don't think we'll, we can talk about this today, but 
I do wonder whether we think ultimately that there's a kind of, um, you know, whether there's some kind of like symmetry or like parallel relation with Waram or whether like his story is just like fundamentally different, has a fundamentally different like arc to it. Um, Cause you know, they're like, they're such a pair, right? And part of the, part of what generates the novel and moves it forward is the sort of like extremely slow advancement of their love story Mm -hmm. right but then also like we we spend time with them individually in ways that at least in the in the swan parts of it are not very caught up with waram and are sort of about like i don't know whether it's about like growth or you know you said like gradual waking waking up right coming into awareness like um but i would be interested to think about how those kind of you know those kinds of narratives sit next to each other and then how they sit next to like some of the stuff that we talked about last time like um the various kinds of like generic forms that play the mystery the noir etc etc yeah because Jeanette's story is a third story in relation to those two right 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 right. exactly exactly um so swan and the inspector um swan and Jeanette are traveling in a (laughs) in a terrarium called the door in the middle of half the empty sky, which was one of the many Chinese euphemisms for the vulva. It's a sex liner. It was a a sex liner of a rather non-theatrical naturalistic sort. (laughs) Yeah, one of the... One of those sex liners. More more of a chill sex liner, really. Yeah, super chill. Um, Oh, and there's this cool surfing scene, right? Where she's just got done surfing with Roram on the rings of Saturn and now this uh sex liner that she's on has this amazing which she like helped to design right right yeah like this amazing like wave pool basically where you can like surf the entire that's so cool like you're, yeah it's really cool gives a new meaning to shooting the curl because you're inside of the you know shoot the curl it's like a yeah, surfing yeah. term uh-huh yeah yeah I've seen Point Break. (laughs) I've heard of shooting the curl before, but I've never done it myself. Uh, But here's one of the things where I'm talking about where she meet. She feels like there. There feels like there's like an awakening for her because she goes surfing and she's like, "This is kind of boring. I want to go talk to Jeanette and see what he, what what Jeanette's up, what the inspector's up to, because he, the inspector's learning a lot of cool shit and like surfing. I can do any time." Yeah. And, you know, uh, so at, at this point, we're, we don't learn a lot more from Jeanette. We kind of, we see Swan's take on, you know, how much of Jeanette's work comes out of like dealing with data um, and that it's time to go to earth because that's, that just, uh, that seems to be like where we're going to have to go to figure some things out. And Swan has to go there anyway. Right. Cause she is, um, uh, going to be working on like rebuilding the soil in in Terminator, so she has to go to Earth to get um, organic materials. Um, and then the other thing we learn in this chapter, I think, is um, but besides some discussion they have about like on this like chill sex liner, whether it's actually like you know there are people who are like behaving overly theatrically, so there's <laughs> like a little bit of you know like Swan being kind of like judgy about like people whose like particular like. Um, 
particular pleasures or not pleasures that she shares, who she finds like not as tasteful as they should be. <laughs> I felt like she was just being an old grumpy grouch, like someone who's probably done exactly this stuff before, but now like, is like, oh, that's, yeah, that stuff is so 2280. Oh, it's mm. just too much. Oh, they're making yeah. such a display of themselves. Decadence, decadence. <laughs> well, I mean, she's also becoming aware that like spa- spacers are seen as decadent like right, right. from the perspective of verse. So maybe that has something to do with it too. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. And then we get we get like the little bit of Jeanette backstory, um, which is just um she's uh they're they're passing by Mars and she's gonna go up and like look at it from like the viewing platform. And Jeanette is like, uh no, I don't want to go look at it. And she's like, what's wrong with Mars? And Jeanette says, I grew up there. I went to school there. I worked there for 40 years, but they exiled me for a crime I didn't commit. And since they exiled me, I exile them. I shit on Mars. <laughs> and Swan is like, oh, oh, well, what was the crime? And then he's as uh, the inspector is like, no, 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 not telling you. <laughs> I love that part. There was no crime because I didn't commit a crime. I love that part. But I love this part too because um, they they whip by Mars, right? They shoot by Mars to pick up speed. And then um, I hear it's an interesting place, someone said, yeah. which is like such a cool little KSR moment of like, yep. I know that you know I wrote the Mars trilogy. <laughs> yeah it's great i mean and i think also like you know for the reader of the mars books like i mean come on you want to go to mars right yeah right yeah i mean we're just like we're not we're consistently not getting to go to Mars. yeah so withholding (laughs) um but then that that takes us to earth and um and this sequence i think is quite of chapters is quite intense about um swan um but it also is like really intense about earth. And this is another place where I think, um, I don't know. I mean, we probably like can't do this here, but I think it would be interesting to read, um, to like think what's happening in these sections written, like not that long before ministry for the future. Right. Um, with, with, with ministry. Right. I mean, we talked the last time about how like here we see like the timeline for the dithering, the great dithering, you know, i.e. our conjuncture is longer in this book. Um, and the timeline to, um, you know, um, significant sea level rise and the crises that follow from it is also significantly longer than we now know right. our actual timeline will be and also longer than the timeline that we get in um uh, in ministry, which I th- makes reading these sections that are extremely, I mean, I think very, um, uh, you know, uh, they like grab you with the feeling of like, this is telling us a real, this is telling us a real story. I mean, this is real, like, you know, sci-fi is realism, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is letting us see a thing that like we know is there, but we don't want to like, we really don't want to picture it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. And like from our perspective too, 10 years after this book was written with everything that's happened in only the last three or four years in terms of like climate catastrophe and the fires and the floods and everything. It's just, you can't read this section without like big flashing lights, like, you know, Stan saying, I'm talking to you world of 2012. Like, yeah. And also, (laughs) Um, you're fucking this up. (laughs) Exactly. And also now just like, 
well, holy shit, it's going to be worse than this, you know? Yeah. But, um, uh, so I love, so the, the next chapter is called Earth, the Planet of Sadness, um, which, yeah, I mean, you know, um, it is already a kind of like, um, yeah, trying to think about like what sadness means there, I think is pretty interesting. But part of what I think, um, part of what really struck me rereading this chapter is that so we're getting like the view from low orbit, right? So we're, you know, we're getting an impersonal, we have an impersonal view here, but it's also where Swan is at, right? Um, but the first thing that we sort of see um, is uh, the um, the transformation of the desert, right? So we're looking at the planet, or I mean, we see the Himalayas first, but we're looking at the planet from low orbit um, we see we see the Himalayas, um, and then we get in North Africa. The pattern is now disrupted by many big shallow lakes dotting the Sahara and the Sahel. the The water has been pumped out of the Mediterranean and deposited in depressions in the desert, often in ancient lake beds. Some of these are as big as the Great Lakes, though much shallower. They're freshwater lakes. The water from the Med has been progressively desalinated on its way inland, and the recovered salts have been bonded with fixatives. Uh, to make excellent white bricks and roof tiles. White roof tiles covered by translucent photo, photovoltaic film have been used for all new constructions since the Accelerando and retrofitted onto many older roofs as well. These days, when seen from space, cities look like patches of snow. So you get this first view, which is like this like greening of the desert, right? You know, um, we get sort of first the, the reference to the idea of like, you know, um, the unbending monotheistic religions that come out of the desert. And then we get this vision of the desert greened, which is obviously like, you know, like a really complicated right. um, image to kind of hang with. But, but, you know, you begin reading this in this sort of moment of like, oh, wow, you know, like, look, look what's happened, right? Oh, okay. So this is a way to like sustain life where you couldn't sustain life before. And they have these like, um, you know, these like roofs on the buildings that are like, um, you know, uh, transform, right, doing this kind of like transformative work, right, we're seeing earth terraformed here, here in the desert, the cities look like patches of snow. So maybe like, you know, it's complicated, but it's this moment of thinking like, look, look what, look what's happened, you know, like, oh, look at you, geoengineering is like working out here or whatever. Um, and then the next paragraph begins, but clean tech came too late to save earth from the catastrophes of the early Anthropocene. It was one of the ironies of their time. They could radically change the surfaces of other planets, but not earth. This, of course, we know from, you know, everything, every, every KSR book, right? Um, the methods they employed in space were almost all too crude and violent. Only with the utmost caution could they tinker with anything on earth because everything there was so tightly balanced and interwoven anything done for good somewhere usually caused ill somewhere else. And that idea of the tight weave of earth, which turns out to be not just like ecosystemic, but also cultural and historical, like that, that's really the sort of like, that's the thought throughout these sections on earth, right? And that to understand that weave, to have the perspective from which one could understand it, like we think of that as like, you know, Surely you could get it if you could get a perspective where you could look down on everything, right? right? Like you could see the totality. But it turns out that what you see right here in your first glimpses is actually something that kind of leads you astray and thinking mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, but there are solutions. Look, green tech, right? 
Um, and like, that's too, like, just like too little too late. Right. Yeah. 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 That, that, yeah. If you, if you have that view from the totality, there's still the details involved that, um, <clears throat> that give you a completely different picture of, of, of what it, what it was. And of course, and, and the, the picture you're getting is one that's already after a catastrophe has happened. That was whose consequences, I think, we, I don't know if we learned that in this chapter or in the next chapter, the, well, basically that the yeah. consequences of the catastrophe that happened are inevitably going to unfold over hundreds of years, no matter what um, is done to, to prevent them, right. Or to like uh, ameliorate them. Um, yeah. And, and that the image, I mean, the image, the initial image of like the, yeah, the, 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 gar the desert being turned into a garden is so, so cool. Like, oh yeah. Pump water from the Mediterranean. And then you, it's like this perfectly circular economy of like taking the water out, removing the salt, using the salt for something, you know, all, all this stuff. That's amazing. And then you, you know, then the revelation that it was done as a kind of, you know, desperate right. uh, attempt to fix some, or to even just like mitigate some much larger, uh, problem is like really kind of a, a gut punch. And then of course the next paragraph includes a note about big geoengineering pro projects that, you know, had led to a little ice age. So then again, that's looking, you know, we have to look back from that to the ministry from the future, for the future yeah. moment of like India's geoengineering to, you know, you know, stop the, the heat waves. Um, which of course the technology and the science around that has changed a lot in the last 10 years, but still it's like this, you know, massive experiment that um, could only be done in a, <laughs> on a planet that's, you know, who, who's, <laughs> whose uh, ecology, if you will, is so much more, you know, um, amenable to massive human change than the delicate bubble that the earth. Right. Const that's constituted by the earth and right. then the chapter ends with this kind of like really really tragic lament basically about javon's paradox and um which uh said which states that the better human technology gets the more harm we do with it so and will there ever be a tipping point to that technology to that paradox will there ever be a moment where we can do all this amazing stuff with technology and now we're going to use it for good. Right. Um, and it reminds me again of going, you know, of, of, of Stan's remarks on carbon coin is like the technology is there. We could use it, pay people to do good things instead of paying people to do bad things, okay. pay people to pump water out from under the glaciers instead of oil out from under the ocean. Like it's, why not? We just do that. Um, but we can't learn our lesson. <laughs> right. We can't learn our lesson. And you know, that like, the the technology is always just like caught up in all of these other things you yeah know? like there's no i mean this is also an interesting i think this chapter and the the representation of earth here overall like um you know it's not just that like earth is it's not that earth is like human saturated it's that that like so many of the ideas about like what do you do to like redeem this situation rely on the possibility of you being able to identify like you know a natural problem that can have like a technological solution 
Um, but there's not just this like nature out there, right? I mean, this is like, you know, our, I mean, I mean that there isn't that. <laughs> and like our, our, you know, human lives, like, um, are extraordinarily complicatedly like intertwined with everything that we call natural, right? Just as like, you know, the technological is like extraordinarily and complicatedly and complicatedly and inextricably tied to the political and the historical and the social. And you can't like pull it out and like you, it's not a, it's just like not a, a tool in this kind of like simple way, right? Which is why, you know, it's urgent to try to have that picture of the totality, if you, particularly if you want to think towards solutions that would be like geoengineering, right? Like, um, but also like, you know, there is something in even believing that you could get to the totality that indicates like a kind of thought of the possibility of like mastering the entire, you know, mastering the situation, which seems to have been like, you know, a little bit at least is a kind of thinking that has, you know, bears some blame for the whole production of the of the situation in the first place yeah right yeah i think that the oh i was just gonna no go ahead i, I was wasn't gonna, gonna say the, anything i was gonna read the last paragraph of yeah of the chapter um so the bit that you just read maybe now is the tipping point right maybe maybe something can happen from all this technological power that we have but no one could be sure. They still hung suspended between catastrophe and paradise, spinning bluely in space like some terrible telenovela. Scheherazade was Earth's muse, it seemed, just one damn thing after another, always one more cliffhanger, clinging to life and sanity by the skin of one's teeth. And so the spacers kept coming home, home to home's nightmares with the Gordian knot tied right in their guts. It's really good. Wow. Yeah, it's really good. It's really That's good really really good paragraph and it's interesting to think then too that that last you know that that last moment just as like seeing earth from low orbit is a little bit the spacer's view of it right you know like it's the spacer who can like see like you know both see earth as home right because they're not there they don't you know it's not you know just like the daily place that they can't pay attention to and can also see it as this like nightmarish place whereas like we're really plunged in the next chapter into the way in which earth is still the scene of like you know where the demand to reproduce you know yourself and your family to reproduce daily life is so like extraordinary and overwhelming that like you know of the 11 billion people or whatever only a very small number of them can ever look up from what they're doing you know everybody right, else yeah. has their head down like doing like the worst fucking labor possible you know and, and and trying to ignore the fact that they're doing it like doing yeah. everything that they can um and that comes to a head more in too in the um i think the pauline on revolution chapter which we'll get to like just yeah, how yeah. why you know why people are compliant or whatever um yeah like the whole earth at this point from mm -hmm. a spacer's point of view is flyover country and yeah, yeah exactly um and there's a kind of way in which you can look down on that on that country and say oh isn't it beautiful Oh, isn't it quaint? Oh, isn't it fucked up? Oh, but it seems like they're getting their shit together because they've created great lakes in the Sahara and the Sahel. 
Um, so that there's like, it's an infinite canvas for projection for a kind yeah, of like, yeah. like the Lacanian mirror, perfect. Like there's that perfect image there that everything's fine or everything is like ideal. And of course, whatever the ideal is, is like whatever you're projecting onto it. Like, like it's all fucked up or it's all perfect or it's all, but it's, it's all there. It's not here at all. It's not here in me. I don't have any relationship to it. It's a, it's a, it's, it's kind of something to like look at fly over, maybe like touch down and land every once in a while and then realize, oh, wow, it's way more fucked up than I thought it was. And then get the hell out of there and right, go back to right. Mercury. Right. 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 Yeah, exactly. Cause it's like, you know, so they have to, they have to go to earth and like get in that gravity sometimes. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's part of how like the longevity keeps working. That's how their bodies keep holding together. Um, but like, as long as you, as long as you have the possibility of like escaping the gravity, like the gravity doesn't mean anything to you. Right. Yeah. And so like, and there, I think that is, it's a new, it's a, in fact, it's a nuisance. Yeah. Right. Exactly. If, if anything, it's like, God damn, like she's singing, she's so heavy. Right. It's like, right. God damn, it's heavy here. I want to get out, you know, yeah. Yeah, lighten exactly. it up. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's really interesting. I think to think about the, like, um, you know, we've talked about this in a number of books, but like the way in which like, um, you know, gra gra gravity is both like literal and metaphoric at once here and like, you know, like pings between those kind of two things. And to think about the like the surfing, the surfing in Saturn's rings <laughs> um, uh, section that we read last time or surfing in the sex liner, right? You know, um, uh, but then like, you know, you go to earth to like get that gravity, to get that heaviness. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, as long as you can leave and this is the same, you know, this is like, you know, obviously calls up the sort of fantasy of like, well, we may have fucked this place up, but eventually we'll be able to leave too, right? You know, we'll get out of it somehow. And I think that, you know, the, the dream also of the like fully technological solution that will just like step in and save us is also like a slip, you know, that's another way to like slip out of the gravity because, you know, something, something that comes from it that is not itself weighed down is going to come on in and like make it better. Right. Well, and here's where I think the novel is really like in a certain way, recursive on itself too, because as a, as a work of art, as a work of sort of almost techne where, you know, it is, a, this book is a fantasy outside of reality in yeah. a way and like science fiction promises all these fantasies. This book is exceptional in that it draws us back constantly to the heaviness and the reality and the dire circumstances. Um, but at the same time, like just like Mars, um, just like a work of art, just like technology or the dream of the future, these are all things that we can like lose ourselves in and forget about our momentary and like present and like very real embodied like problems. Um, and kind of say, oh, well, at least, you know, the artwork provides us with a, a kind of uh, a consolation there. Uh, Promise of the future technology provides us of a consolation there. Um, to me, it reminds me of just like Arizona as a place where people could like go to live in the <laughs> yeah, desert right. with no water. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. psychotic, crazy, yeah. or Dubai, right? Like yeah. uh, Mars in this way and like all the planets act very much like Arizona or Dubai do for, for like the rich today, right? Like, yeah, like there's yeah. a bubble there that you can go to and, and you won't have to worry about anything. Um, if you're of a certain, you know, wealth class or whatever. Um, and so like, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, 
that again, that also it's interesting that Swan herself is an artist who like creates these moments. So that art is this kind of portal thing, like taking you out, but reminding you as well. She's because as a situational artist or as a, as a landscape artist or a um, performance artist, whatever, you know, she reconfigures reality momentarily to demonstrate that there is a contingency there. Um, and it's, whether it's a form of escape or not, if it's escape for her or escape for her audience, I don't think, I don't know that, that that's kind of an interesting question to ask yeah. too. But, but anyway, you, you, you get what I'm getting at. There's this like second reality out there that, you know, allows us to ignore the real reality and, and escape from it, escape from the heaviness from, from kind of like, yeah, the corporeal, like the stinking rot of our own flesh. Right. Right. Well, and the, I mean, and I guess, so yeah, that, so that I was just, there were so many interesting things that you just said. And I was thinking one, like, it is really interesting to think about Swan's performances. Cause I, I was going to say something that comes up for me in this, in this chapter or in this sequence where, you know, it's clear that like, she is not somebody who, um, I don't know. She like has problems with other people. Like that is kind of part of who she is. Um, and that makes me wonder about like, does she have an audience for her art? This is, that's like not an answerable question, but like kind of just a question, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, she's able to make these, design these terraria that like people live in and that are actually still extremely effective, even though she's abandoned them. But, but then it's interesting that her art is about like, you know, I mean, she does like endurance performance, right? right. So it's, so it's all about like the body, right? The experience of the body. And I guess the question in performance art is like, well, how does like the performer's um, you know, endurance of pain or discomfort or humiliation or whatever it may be in the performance, like what is that like embodied, um, you know, experience in quote marks, like what does that have to do with like what the, the what the viewer of the performance sees, experiences, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so I think that that is one thing that I think is actually that's like really interesting to think about here because she is, I mean, and like her, she's just a self-experimenter too. Right. You know? Like yeah. she's a, like a, you know, she's like, uh, you know, like Coleridge or somebody like, just like gonna, you know, really dose myself up on a lot of stuff and like, see, see, see what kind of poems I write then, you know, <laughs> Benjamin um, on hashish. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but then on the other side, it's interesting that idea of sort of like, um, you know, obviously this is not the science fiction of escapism, but it's always making us think about like, you know, I'm thinking about like the planetary romance where like, you know, so in, like in a utopia, you also have a traveler who gets dropped down frequently, like through means that they themselves do not understand very well, but maybe sometimes they arrive on a boat or a ship, right? Like, but gets dropped down into this completely different social order and has to come to understand it. And in their process of coming to understand it comes to understand something about where they're from, right? You know, and particularly like, you know, the unfreedom of where they're from or whatever it may be. And the planetary romance like can work in a kind of similar way in that you have a sort of like traveler, but the traveler there is like, is very light, right? I mean, and really they are much more like, they may get involved with things, um, but you know, like, part part of what they're doing is kind of like they're able to like hop around, you know? 
Um, so like, you know, they come to visit, they, you know, we through them get to see the wonders of this particular like weirdo place and the kinds of people and creatures in it, you know, and then they can move to another one, right? Like, you know, um, uh, and here, you know, like, as you were saying, right, well, we always go back to earth. And then we also have Mars, I think, you know, really deliberately, I think, unexplored here, because we don't know if this is our Mars, and therefore it is a real place, you know, a place made in and through history and suffering and, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a world that tends toward, like, the possibility of, like, freedom and autonomy for everybody on it, right? We don't know if it's that Mars or if it is really a different Mars. You know, we see it, you know, our glimpses of it are so small, right? Um, but, but you know, but we when we come back to Earth, like it is a real like back to Earth moment, you know, like we're drawn out of like those fantasy spaces of the terraria. But I think it allows us to keep asking about like what, you know, um, what those moments of dreaming of something else, those like dreamy parts, like what do they do, you know? Um, uh, and I think they do something really serious and, and important. I think the novel takes it seriously. Like it takes the, it takes, I mean, this is definitely, I mean, I think like, you know, all of Stan's books this is a book that takes pleasure really seriously, um, you know, and would never like, never imagines like, um, you know, a sort of like austerity or stoicism as like the, the necessary reaction. Um, but this, you know, this particular section, Swan on Earth is really like, the picture of Earth is, is just like fucking harsh. I mean, it, this is really like exactly the sort of, you know, if we were like, oh, here we are in the year, what year is it? 2021. And like, you know, there's this pandemic going on and like, there's no end in sight to petro capital and, um, you know, whatever shit is just getting worse in every single, in every single dimension. I mean, yeah, we, we would not write such a good chapter about what might happen <laughs> in 2140, but you know, like this is like, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. it's like, it's dark. Yeah. Um, I have a note on the first paragraph of Swan on Earth, which just says, wow, and exclamation point uh, on it. And yeah. uh, I think we'll read that and, and, and get deeper into the muck. Um, Earth exerted a fatal attraction far beyond its heavy G, having to do more with its nearly infinite historical gravity, its splendor and decadence and dirt. I love that infinite historical gravity, yeah. right? Yeah, it's just beautiful. like, don't try escaping from history. Like, yeah. do not. You won't be able to do it. You didn't have to go to Uttar Pradesh and view the melting uh, ruins of Agra or Benares to see it. It was fractal and everywhere, in every village, in every valley and village. Decrepit age, the stink of cruel societies, bare eroded hillsides, drowned coastlines still melting into the sea. A very disturbing place. The strangeness was not always obvious or tangible. Human time here was simply wrenched. The center had not held. Things fell apart and recombined to, re to create feelings that did not cohere inside one. Ideas of order became hopelessly bogged in ancient stories, webs of law, faces on the street. I mean, this is like the dark post-modernity, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is mm -hmm. just nothing makes sense. You can't put anything back together again. It's all just like chaos. Um, and the harder you try, the more 
the more you'll sink into like the quicksand of, of uninterpretability. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I was also thinking about how not, um, you know, to give it a, a positive twist. (laughs) I mean, not exactly, but like, um, you know, like you were, you were saying, you know, like one, like it's better to not think that you can get out of history right it's better Mm -hmm. to not think that you can like slip the bonds of it right um like in some ways it's better to be able to like look around you and see like how overwritten everything is right and to see that there's not you know to to get rid of sort of the fantasy that there is you know there's a space that you can get to that'll be like the simple life right or you know whatever that yeah. might be right um but the burden of that is also huge and like it's also just like immense you know like if if like um uh if history is everywhere in just like the kind of like layered materiality of where we live um and they're like in the sort of like complexities like of our daily lives like also like that's a lot of different those are a lot of different histories too that we're not right. that we can't like bring together into like tidy classifications or um you know into an order that allows us to make sense so again it's like the sort of like you know the the idea of being able to see the totality is like hovering around here um but unachievable i think like both in that both as you were saying in that kind of like there's no cognitive map here and also unachievable in like um just this recognition of kind of like the vastness the both like human experience has like a great deal in common and also is like vastly different right and the vastness of that difference that like covers where we live you know means that there is something about like thinking you can see it from the spacer's eye view right like you can look down and like get the whole it's inevitably wrong yeah 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 and there's just something that is kind of yeah, I don't know. Very human about thinking that you can see it all and then realize, and then, or that, that, that sort of, I don't know, human knowing is part of, partly is just knowing the gap between what you can see and what you know is real or, or what you, what might be realizable or understandable in a certain way, like that there is a gap always between those two things, uh, yeah. that, which is where we live or something. Yeah. I mean, and to, and on the, uh, and just like right after this part, I think that the, we have another really interesting thought about technology here too. So part of what is happening in this chapter, like as what you were saying is like part of Swan's sort of like waking up um, uh, is also her beginning to recognize like the mass of humanity, like not individuals, but like what you know, what like passes for like collective life or common life on earth. Um, and this, um, and, you know, so like, she's looking at, um, and she's seeing that like, you know, the way that buildings look, you know, they look like they could be in Terminator. Right. But then when she looks around and she sees what the people are doing, they're doing like this kind of labor that like, well, does it seem like go does go on on venus but like you know is not part otherwise part of that sort of like spacer's eye view uh um uh someone had to run the harvesters on the rice and sugarcane fields check the irrigation canals uh 
check the irrigation canals or robots, install things, fix things. Humans were still not only the cheapest robots around, but also for many tasks, the only robots that could do the job. They were self-reproducing robots too. They showed up and worked generation after generation. Give them 3000 calories a day, a few amenities and a little time off and a strong jolt of fear. And you could work them at almost anything. Give them some ameliorative drugs and you had a working class, reified and cog-like. Again, she saw a big minority of Earth's population did robot work, and that had never gone away, no matter what political theories said. Um, you know, part of what I think is interesting about that is like, you know, this is this, I think, really like smart kind of pushback on the idea that like, you know, here we are like post accelerando, but like, we're not going to have a fucking robot workforce. We're going to keep having a human workforce because like, you don't need you don't need robots when you have human beings who will do this stuff like quote unquote naturally, right? Um, right. right. You don't you don't. It's expensive. It's always going to be like expensive to make robots, right? So the the kind of like giving the lie to the idea of this sort of accelerationist idea of like automation or even just like you know the kind of like contemporary idea that like you know we're all going to be automated out of our jobs or whatever like you know, but also recognizing just how much like that labor is like this mechanical labor that, um, you know, people cling to because the other option is to like, you know, be completely precarious unto death. Right. The other option that we're given, right. It's like, like the, uh, you know, there's, it's the double bind of like, we're all going to be automated out of our jobs, but we hate our jobs. But we have to have our jobs (laughs) because if we don't have our jobs, then we're worthless. So we can just be fed into a slurry machine uh, for the, for Peter Thiel to drink every, his (laughs) human slurry every day and stay immortal forever. Right. Delicious, Um, delicious slurry. Vampire like, right. Um, But yeah, even with the robot, whatever robots, I mean, we have plenty of robots today. Humans have to look after them because they're not fucking perfect. Just like the law isn't perfect. Just like government isn't perfect. Like it needs like human thought and like for philosophy and morality and ethics and like mutual understanding and discussion and all the things that the humanities do. All those things are needed in order for these like mechanisms that we've created to operate our lives to actually function properly. Yeah. Because they yeah. don't function properly. They're op- operated by human beings. We make the world, God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, this is like, you know, yeah, this is such a bleak picture of like the, of the proletariat, you know, like, I mean, the, in which like, what is the proletariat? The proletariat um, is like everyone who has nothing, right. It is the dispossessed. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then that paragraph continues, uh, it never got less shocking to see it. And things aren't fun anymore when you know that there are people starving while you play around. So something had to be done, which begs the question, what is to be done? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then of course she turns to uh, her friend, Zasha, who also has no pronouns, right? Z has no pronouns. Yeah. I think it's somewhere in this chapter. I think Swan calls Zasha Zer, I think. Zer? She says- Zer. Uh, as a pronoun really i yes i'm looking um look find it but then you know zasha explains to swan 
Um, you know, there's never been a plan. We're always dealing with the crisis of the moment. Old ways die hard. We've had the power and resources relative to the needs. We could have done it, but that was never the project. So it's never happened. Yeah. Um, so it is this like perennial question of like, we could have enough for everybody. Why doesn't everybody have enough? Right. Like, we have enough for everybody. We haven't decided to do it yet. Yep. Yeah. Why, why haven't we? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, because um, some people have plenty. Yeah, uh, it's on. Plenty. It's G. Uh, this is on 358 in mine. Uh, Swan called Inspector Jeanette. Blah, 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 blah. I'm going to see Zasha. G's in Greenland, so I should be safe. G. Is it in this chapter? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. 358, which I don't, which doesn't mean anything to me. No, sorry. It's right before, it's right before. Um, oh, so mine, Greenland. mine says, so it's like, yeah, the, um, the section that starts, so Swan called Inspector yeah, yeah. Jeanette. Mine just says um, Z is in Greenland, the letter Z. Oh, mine says Z H E. Ha ha. I can't see that. I can't. I can't, I can't tell what I'm doing. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's a change that happened in the book. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Sorry that I mispronounced. Well, Zasha. Anyway um how are you to know so yeah i mean classic marxian kind of analysis here on my 309 which is in the section why is it like this yeah Uh, it's been said that when societies are stressed they don't actually face up to their problem but look away instead put on blinders and go into denial what's historical is pretended to be natural and people fractionate into tribal loyalties then they fight over what they are what are perceived to be shortages um so yeah. Right, right. They're the sort of like the coming together of ideology, which is like claiming that what's historical is natural um, uh, with, um, uh, you know, the possibility of, um, yeah, anyway, sorry, lost yeah. my, lost my train of thought as I was saying that. No, it's fine. And then, um, yeah, so you can say now, you could say earth itself is now a development sink the marrow has been sucked dry and most of the upper classes went to Mars long ago. This is Elon Musk's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> proleptic vision already is like Earth's a development sink. We got to like invest in Mars. Um, and yeah, something interesting about Chad where um, Jeanette has figured out that like the signals are coming from a company based in Chad and Chad is just a tax haven. So there's something about financial capital here too, right, like right. lurking in the background and a couple of years before New York 2140 and right. all that kind of that critique of um, how finance capital is sort of taken over. place And placeless, right? And here again, like we're no closer to being able to figure out, as far as we can tell, we're no closer to being able to figure out like who planned the attack on Terminator, you know, right. because the thing that seemed like it was a place is not, is, you know, is only a tax haven, right? Yeah. So that's just cla- like a place where money's hanging out. And a great kind of neo-noir uh, innovation on noir, like in terms of if noir used to be about like moving money, actual money to f- between real people and actual things and from place to place or 
getting that Maltese Falcon that turned out to be nothing here. There are no places and there are no people, right? Right. There's exactly. just, there's just flows. Yes, they exactly. don't even flow from one thing to another. They flow constantly. Like, right. Right. And not even like money, it. like, you know, cash in your wallet is just like, you know, it's like numbers that appear in a bank account. Right? Yeah. 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 Cause Temporary. money is so dem dematerialized and unimportant in this world too. It's like, strange it's just power now it's just down to like power flows in yeah. a certain way yeah as we get deeper into this mystery of like what the fuck is actually going on right exactly and i mean and speaking of that so swan goes after after hanging out um with zasha for a bit swan goes to china she wandered um, the earth yes yeah, yeah she's wandering the earth like you know like you do she like at as one does, good old earth, so huge and dirty, the sky looking as if chewed by a brown fungus, the water the color of pale mud, the land stripped and industrialized, but all of it still out in the wind, flattened hard by its G, and yet at the same time stiff with reality. I mean, like the sort of the gravity puns in here are just like, are really fantastic. Um, but so, you know, I, I mean, Swan feels like this heritage attachment to China, right? She kind of feels that she is, she too is Chinese somehow. Um, and she's like wandering around looking, looking at people, you know, making some kinds of generalizations about what she thinks that she sees. Um, and then uh, one night she falls asleep in the hostel that she's staying in and wakes up um, in restraints with medical monitors all around her. The bed was attending to her bodily needs and she guessed there was a drug in her IV feed triggering her speech centers because she was talking away without meaning to, even when she tried to stop herself. A disembodied voice from behind her head asked questions about Alex and everything else and she babbled away helplessly. Pauline was no help at all, seemed to have been turned off and Swan could not resist the impulse to talk. It was not that unlike her normal self, Indeed, it was a bit of a relief to be able to go on and on without having to make excuses. Someone was making her do it, so she would. Later, she came to in the same bed, unrestrained, her clothing on a chair by the bed. The room was just slightly bigger than the bed. So this is just like this ex extremely disturbing scene that really you just like get plopped into out of nowhere. I mean, I thought that it was going to end up being a, a dream or a nightmare or a hallucination or something because it happened so you know conventionally it's like the character falls asleep and then they wake up and they're being probed by aliens basically yeah, yeah, um, yeah but no it's not it doesn't you know she explains it to people and they you know they're they they don't say were you was that just a dream and no it was it it evidently like really happened and it's extreme it's just one of the most extreme moments i feel like in the ksr novels that we've read like we don't we're not this close to like when um sax is tortured in the mars trilogy you know right like we um, don't see that right that happens off screen basically yeah. um from what i recall uh i mean the scars of it are there for sax in terms right. of like his mental scars but we don't see it in this kind of extremity so it's like a really like yeah remarkable terrifying passage um yeah. that yeah comes extremely abruptly and then just disappears. Yeah. 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 It's terrifying. I mean, you know, it's a, like an extraordinary violation, right? I mean, like this is a, a rape of a kind, like she's forced to speak. Um, she's trapped in that room. And also just the extreme disorientation, like 
for us and for Swan, like, where the fuck is this coming from? You know, yeah. like, does this have some, you know, they want to know about Alex, like, could the, is this coming from the state? We have no reason. We see like nothing of the state. So we really have no reason to think that it would be the state. Is this coming from like whatever, like, you know, shadowy org is like running the like cubes, the, you know, the embodied cubes. Is this related to the mystery or is this just like a power play in relation to Mercury and the Mondragon, you know, is right. That is actually not about like, um, uh, the destruction of Terminator at all. Like, and we don't know, you know, and we don't know what she said. Um, you know, I mean, it doesn't seem like she could have said all that much given like, um, that she doesn't know all that much, but still like, yeah, it's just a very disturbing, very creepy scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at that point is when she decided she calls Jeanette um she calls zasha and joins zasha in in greenland um yeah i mean that scene is so and pauline is kind of shut out of it it's it's so uh it's it is so disturbing and it also um matches up in i mean it not matches up but like it resonates sort of with her again back to her like art practice her like yeah. extreme body modification it's one thing if she does it to herself right, <laughs> she right. straps electrodes to her brain and forces herself to talk in front of a, an audience of people but like right. this is like yeah literally a kind of a form of like yeah rape um yeah, yeah really horrifying yeah yeah it's a ter- it's a terrifying scene um and yeah we just like again it is kind of like left there you know yeah. like as as another part of the sort of like the catalog of things that have happened to Swan that are a little, are, are disturbing, are a little mysterious. Yeah. yeah. For, for a character who, yeah. Whose business is so much about putting her body in extreme places. This is, this is a, a, an extreme situation, but then also an extreme of the extreme because she's out of her, it's out of her control and there's, but there's also kind of resonates as well with the kind of awakening thing of like, she's learning so much about, again, about the solar system that that's also disturbing her and yeah, in a yeah. different way, in a kind of psychic way and in a way that like affects her, her knowledge of, you know, not only what the solar system looks like, but her position within it. And here it's like, you know, the most extreme example of that is that you're not, uh, where you thought you were, you are subject to mysterious forces yeah, that yeah, yeah. can take you at any moment. You know, you're not yeah. a free person su- suddenly. Like you're in a extraordinarily precarious state of unfreedom that you didn't know you were in before this just happened to you. It really it puts her like it it puts her into a position that is like so much closer to Kieran's position, like we were right. talking about last time, right? You know where, you know. Uh, if it seems like maybe he's like getting set up to like play a double agent or something like that, but in fact, he has no agency because he could just like never figure out like who it's impossible for him to tell, like who has motive, who has motives for what, you know? Right. Yeah. He can begin to discern some like bits and pieces, but there's like no, there's no like lining up like the motive with the person and the, the like two, you know, Lakshmi and whoever the other, person is shukra Shukra, 
who he's like getting pinged back and forth between, they both have a kind of like mysteriousness to them that like, you know, doesn't both makes them seem like sort of omnipotent or like, you know, something close, extremely potent at least. Um, but also doesn't really allow, you know, you to locate any sort of like analysis there. They just are like these figures of power, you know, and this is a little bit here. She is on earth just like, Oh yeah, you can just like get drawn into this situation that you knew nothing about, that you're like completely helpless in relation to. You're like feeding information, but to whom, right? And for what? Like it 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 makes me reflect on our position as readers, where if we're if we're trying to figure out, you know, the motivations of these characters in a in a future that is almost almost totally post-capitalist, like yeah. money isn't the motivating factor. So maybe, so something like we would, we would probably want to say something like power is sex isn't because you can go to a sex liner and do whatever you want with whoever agrees to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So then it, so then it redounds to something like, I guess, power, but then the question is like, what power from whom for what to, you know, to do to what end in a way. Um, which is an interesting question for us to confront today, you know, where obviously capital is still our sort of go-to, you know, boogeyman or whatever, but there are motivations that aren't simply money, right? Um, and those are very mysterious, I would say. Like, why does why is Kristen Cinema doing what she's doing? It's like, does she just hate <laughs> herself? I mean, is that what's going on? Like she yeah, loves right. being chased into bathrooms because she doesn't make enough money to make, <laughs> make right, this worthwhile. Right. Well, right. And, and, and also like, I mean, I think that that's like a good, like, that's a good sort of like example because then there's also the question of like, well, and in the end, like what the, it wouldn't avail us anything to like know what her motivations are, you know, like no more than it avails us to like understand why she dresses the way she dresses, <laughs> you know, like all because, because in the end, like she doesn't, you know, like, so, you know, and that, so I was thinking, I don't know where to go with this, but it's kind of interesting to think about how Jeanette, you know, Jeanette's relationship is to data, right? So Jeanette's, right. Jeanette's, Jeanette's like, um, uh like analysis like the kind of analysis that Jeanette does um uh is you know uh it's like in the aggregate right and right. and thus it like works at a level you know like it abstracts from individual cases um and because like um it seems like part of what Jeanette does is like aggregating like tons of data from tons of different places and being able to sort of, you know, like produce it, producing these kind of like maps uh, of the data, right? So there's on the beginning of Swan and the Inspector, it says um, when she's like going over to Jeanette to find out what he's working on, um, they're sifting through 
the data, trying to formulate questions that their data might hold answers to. So they're just trying to actually figure out what the right questions are to ask the data. Their work was as invisible as the computations that kept all the spaceships and terraria on course in their woven trajectories with all their Aldrin cycles and Hohmann paths and gravity lanes defined like threads on a vast circular spiraling loom, data analysis, pattern recognition. A big part of the work was done by their cubes and AIs. It's like this invisible labor that they're doing about invisible forces that are yeah. nevertheless there, but you can only know that they're there through second order, like data about them or whatever. Right. Whereas like the right. question that I'm asking about, yeah, Kristen Cinema implies a kind of fantasy in which if we knew her motivations, we'd have this big melodramatic confrontation with her and be like, your father never hugged you enough. Right, and then exactly. she would break down in tears and vote for the Green New Deal, right? Yeah. Exactly. And then the Green New Deal would work. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. But then that's like the sort of like the mode of like, you know, interrogating somebody like through torture. Right. So if we think like, you know, Alex did everything right. in person. Um, and part of why she leaves the info that she leaves to Swan is a little bit because like she, know, you know, I think presumably she knows that like Swan is not at the version of Swan that she knows is not somebody who is going to like, you know, try to figure out what was going on right um but like you know and then to like you know give swan whatever kind of like you know uh truth serum or whatever she's given you know and make her talk and ask her questions about alex like you know so we have this kind of relationship here between like personality and impersonality and between like um you know uh like small scale relation and then these large scale, much more abstract relations that are the, the like what becomes visible in data. Like this is another like totality problem, mm -hmm. you know, like um, which then is interestingly like figured through the problem of the cubes too, right? Because if they're not persons, um, you know, uh, I mean, this, this comes up like in the sort of joking conversation that um, Swan has with Pauline in the, in the chapter, the chapter after this one, um, where, you know, she, you know, she likes to needle Pauline and say like, why don't you draw a conclusion? You draw a conclusion. And part of her demand is that like Pauline do this like person-like thing, right. Rather than like, sort of just like say like, well, these, this is what so-and-so says, and this is what so-and-so says, and this is what so-and-so says, but you know, there's not some, uh, there's a big mystery about like how those things come together, how or whether those things come together, you know, like, um, and there's like a kind of gap between them. Like, how do you, you know, like what, where are the points of translation between like the set of experiences that you have with a person um, and like, you know, a large scale picture that tries to like map, map something like power itself, like an extraordinary abstraction. It makes me think that like the, when, so when, when Swan says to Pauline, well, tell me the answer. Like, give, give me, give me the, you do the interpretation. Pauline says to her, well, you haven't programmed me to do the interpretation. Right, right. So you're going to have to do the interpretation. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if Pauline is saying like, look, you're the fancy human who can do hermeneutics. Like if you're so special as a human that you can program me, you, why don't you do it? Right? right. Like, like there's this kind of, again, a, 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 like a kind of, um, I want to say it's a kind of, one of the differences between kind of modernity and post-modernity or something like that, where it's like, 
there's this fantasy that like, yes, we can scientifically figure out everything in the world and create a kind of scientific utopia. And then there's the other side of that, which is like, well, if we could do that, why haven't we done it already? Right, if we're such right. fancy human beings with that, that can, are masters of the universe, the consciousness of the universe and blah, blah, blah. If we're so great, why do we need computers to do all the work for us? Right, right, exactly, exactly. And like, you know, part of what, part of what, um, uh, Swan wants from Pauline is is her to like tell a story, right? The analysis is also supposed to be a story, which is like, how did we get here slash what is to be done, right? That, you know, like, I mean, after all, what is to be done is a novel. So like that is that is a like right. Know, right. And and that is also the that is also, I think, like, at least implicitly, like that's the answer to what is supposed to bridge, right? The abstraction of the aggregate to like, you know, the raw particularity of individual experience. I mean, it's supposed to be narrative or like in particular, it's supposed to be that that's like, that's what the novel is supposed to do, right? right? Novels are supposed to do that. Um, that's what realism, you know, in its classic form is, tells you that it does, you know? Um, and yet, of course, it doesn't do that because it ends up just saying to you, and that is how the world is, right? right. You know, <laughs> well, good for you or bad for you. That is how the world is. And then going back to one of Stan's um, uh, refrains, we are all living in a science fiction novel that we're writing together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which exactly. is exactly as helpful as it sounds. <laughs> like- yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Well, and to make your, you know, like you were saying, like the, that, passage um oh this might have been before we were recording but you were saying that passage about like um history history being everywhere which is this you know you were reading as like okay this is this sort of like fragmented like no cognitive map postmodern right view the beginning of swan on earth yeah um you know you were saying like I think this is before recording. Oh, it's like Pinchonian or whatever. Oh yeah. Right. And like, you know, the thing in a Pinchon novel is that like, there's a collapse between like the impersonal and the personal, right. You know, like those are, uh, those become utterly the same. And that in itself is completely confounding to the individual, right. You know, like you're more, (laughs) you're actually just like far more lost because like, it turns out that like, you know, the bombs fall everywhere. Tyrone Slothrop has sex, right? Like that's like, you know, so uh, yeah. Anyway, I, whatever, like some good, there's some good stuff here. <laughs> there's some good stuff. Here. <laughs> um, so yeah. Okay. So Swan is still on earth. She comes, she's uh, gradually, it's becoming clear to her at last that there was a widespread view in China that spacers were living in outrageous decadence and luxury like the colonialist powers of old, only more so. So it makes sense what they're, that they would be hostile to them. Um, Again, that word, that, that word decadence, that Waram has warned us so much about. Um, And she's looking around, um, people are still living essentially like they did hundreds of years ago doing this kind of, you know, uh, you know, pastoral labor as being, and being expert ecologists, um, but living in kind of the same poverty that, that has, has characterized, um, so much of civilization for hundreds of years, thousands of years, uh, back in Chad, she had seen clear signs of heavy internal parasite loads. She had seen hunger, disease, premature death, wasted lives and blasted biomes, basic needs not met for 3 billion of the 11 billion on the planet. 3 billion was a lot already, but there were also another five or 6 billion teetering on the brink about to slide into that uh, same hole. Never a day free of worry. The great precariat wired in enough to know their situation perfectly well. 
Uh, that was life on earth. The wealthiest lived as if they were spacers on sabbatical, mobile and curious, actualizing themselves in all the ways possible, augmenting themselves, genderizing, speciating, dodging death, extending life. Whole countries seemed like that, in fact, but they were small countries, Norway, Finland, Chile, Australia, Scotland, California, Switzerland. On it went for a few score more. Then there were struggling countries, then the patchwork post nations, the cobbled together struggles against failure or the completely failed. And then we get this paragraph that's basically like the nightmare scenario if everything that happens well in ministry for the future and that we need to do in the next foreseeable future, if all of that fails, then we get this horrible nightmare paragraph of 11 meter rise in sea level and um, just a total, total fucked up situation, man. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then the, um, I think the, you know, we have this, you know, interesting stuff about like geoengineering the glacier and also this kind of like glimpse of, um, you know, a, a sort of what a, um, a, a classic trope, the, the growing of like the Arctic plants, um, uh, all, you know, always, um, like a pleasing, a pleasing scene. Right. Um, but the, but at this point it's, it's very clear that part of what the, part of what this chapter is like really insistent on um, uh, is like structural uneven development, structural global uneven development. And that, that, you know, that unevenness um, will worsen um, as climate disaster hastens. Right. I mean, and that, and so like, you know, when they're, uh, when Zasha and Swan are like, you know, lo- looking over Greenland and Swan is like, well, you know, maybe I should just concentrate on this because like, this is pretty nice. And it looks like you can terraform part of earth. Zasha's like, you can only do it in Greenland because there aren't very many people who live here. And the Inuit happen to be willing to be on board with this. And like, it basically is just like sheer luck that it's possible mm-hmm. that you could do this here, you know? Um, everywhere else like there's too much there's too much there and that so there's so that itself become it becomes this moment you know this moment of seeing like possibility and also beauty a beauty that could come out a sort of like post-disaster beauty that could emerge um but it is you know but that's only because like this is a spot it's like a little spot where that can happen it's only in a corner of the world just like the sahara and the sahel bringing the garden to the desert it's like just a drop in the bucket in terms of what's going on in the vast majority of other places. It makes me think about like, you know, that, that in that, in terms of that question of like, you know, Swan finding herself again or awakening to what her life is and really what like the human is. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's normal, what's normal and what's average. Yeah. You know, um, we, it's so easy to take your, your life for granted as being a normal, you're just living a normal life. And then, uh, if you look at kind of the vast majority of the way people live, you know, the statistic, like half the world lives on $2 a day type of thing. It's like, what actually ends up being normal? What is average? What is human living? You know, if, if that's the dominant, you know, right, right. Right. Yeah. And it's a like, you know, whose lives get to count. Right. Right. There's also a question about who gets to have a story, you know, yeah. and of course, like, 
I don't know. I mean, everybody tells stories about their lives. Everybody makes sense of the world, but like, um, but you know, only, you know, like having access to being able to think of yourself and then to develop your life as though, you know, you had some kind of story, right? Like it's, it's interesting to me that, I mean, I think that's a thing that like, I, um, uh, the idea that like, you know, you have a course of life, which is supposedly like, you know, these like set, um, whatever, like organic events that happen to you, but that that's overlaid with like your life story, which is, you know, like has something to do with those, you know, quote unquote developmental events, but is also like personal or complex or irreducible or particular, or all of those other things. Right. Like, um, you know, once you get, once you get to the point where you, um, are able to like open up gender and sex in the way that's happened here, like you've really undone. And I mean, and light and of course, and the extent of one's life too, like you've really undone like the idea of that there is like, um, this developmental pattern that like hits these like landmarks, right. Because those are so closely tied to ideas we have about like, um, about sex and gender, right. Um, as well as about like, you know, what age means what, right? Um, right. So once you've undone that, you've also like undone a relationship to like the kind of fixity of personality that says you ought to be able to like narrate yourself, right? Because like part of, part of that idea that you have, you get, you have a life story is also an idea about some kind of like yeah, it's an idea about a kind of like consistency, right? I mean, and part of what Swan is, is like the inconsistent person, right? And even like the ruptural person, you know, um, right. who, who, so, I mean, and in that way, like, you know, that I, that I think like that opens up these like really critical kinds of possibilities, right. To like, not, you know, to not like continually issue the demand to everyone that they be consistent and that, you know, like what matters is, is that like, you know, um, I always know how to identify you by your name, by your attainments and by your gender, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? To like get rid of that is this like incredibly like liberatory thing. But at the same time, like, you know, here we also have that sense of like, you know, the, the uh, you know, the mass of human people who don't, uh, who get excluded from sort of like the realm in which you either get to have a story or you get to do away with the possibility of having one. Not all, not everybody has the option to have a Twitter account or not, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, exa that is exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, so we should take our Twitter accounts, we, you we know, hold them precious. <laughs> yeah, hold them close. What are you going to do with your one wild and precious Twitter account? <laughs> oh, man. I got to leave a legacy. They're going to read this for centuries to come. I hear you got a lot of likes. Oh, man. I got so many likes. So um, many likes. Um, yeah. So, and, and as, as Swan learns all of this and, and comes to find out about, you know, Greenland and its kind of particularity in terms of its availability for terraforming and how doomed the earth is, and also confronts the fact that she's, you know, whatever her story is not what she thought it was, but yeah. also more than what she thought it was. She's just learning too much stuff. Enlightenment. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> she says to Zasha, I'm not having fun anymore. <laughs> and that word fun has come up in this chapter too. Because yeah. it looked like, you know, sometimes it looks like people are having fun, but it turns out they're not having fun. 
And the fun that you're having is at somebody else's expense, even though you didn't think that it was. And finding out that other everyone else isn't having as much fun as you <laughs> means that it's hard for you to have fun anymore. Yeah. Which isn't yeah. fun. No, Earth the planet, Earth the saddest planet. <laughs> Earth the planet of sadness. It's no fun. It's no fun. Um, there, there is a hint. Yeah, and then also, yeah, there's a hint of like a little bit more of a hint of what's going on with Venus that there's these real estate wars um, going on when the next stage of terraforming hits. And then Swan is going to go up back to Mercury to take inoculants down from ascensions and she's explaining this to zasha and zasha's like it's not as easy as it used to be and um swan says they just need to replace what we had before not possible they won't let you take topsoil off earth in anything like the quantities they used to so our new soil is going to have to be some kind of ascension and you're the expert at those oh that's um zasha talking to swan swan but i don't like ascensions anymore they're necessary now. It's not a style choice. So it's again, it's just like, oh, I want to have fun. I don't want to do ascensions. It's like tough shit. Well, and her, I mean, it's also like she has, you know, she has felt that by deciding that she doesn't like ascensions anymore, that that is her sort of being serious and rigorous. She's right. like, oh, you know, I just like, I played around, like I mixed these things up, like, you know, let's, let's do it. Let's be like simple. Let's be more thoughtful about this or whatever. And then it turns out like, no, actually like you have to keep being, you have to keep being inventive. I also love the way Zasha talks to Swan is so much like in the tone of like, you know, the loving, but also like the ex who like knows you like a little bit too well. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I was going to say too, like the Swan, you mentioned that Swan is the ruptural person, like the person who's constantly willing to blow up her own her own life and experiment on herself, which, you know, that person probably thinks of themselves as like cool and fundamentally unknowable and like, you don't know me, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then you talk to like 10 people who know that person and they're all saying like, well, you know, Swan. And they're like, yeah, yeah I know yeah, Swan. Exactly. And Swan's exactly. like, you don't know me, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Like, shut up. You have an identity. You're there in the, in the world. You're located, you know, in space and time. You have a set, uh, a set of like behaviors and patterns and we know you, you know, we know you, you talk about yourself a lot, all the time, all the time. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> okay. So earth is heavy. Uh, and then she leaves earth, but then we have the lists. This is like a list of excuses. Yeah. Excuses. And also like, you know, you know, the excuse as like the like little nugget of ideology too, right. that, you know, that tells you like, there's no way we could do it. Right. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, like excuses and reasons. And sometimes like ideology is the, is the line separating those two things. Yeah, exactly. Too. Exactly. It's like, um, you know, oh no, it's, it's a zero sum game. You got to take what, you know, you can take what you can get. There's no such thing as utopia. It probably won't work anyway. Um, there isn't enough for everyone. Right. They don't deserve it. They aren't that, like us. They'd do the same to you if they could. That is just, isn't that America in a nutshell right yeah, there? Really or the, is, you know? the bad, the bad side of America, like the, the America, the, the story that we're fed about what life is like in America is just, you know, got a means test uh, yep. child's ta child tax credits. Otherwise 
lazy people might get them. Lazy exactly. children might be able to eat. The problem, you know, the problem with like, you know, not knocking down like the encampment of unhoused people is they might think that they can live on that empty lot. I mean, and they, can't give, they don't deserve that. Can't give people these kinds of ideas that, no. you know, they can just walk into a public library and use the bathroom. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You nuts? can't think that the, the commons are actually like held in common. I mean, you know. Yeah. <sighs> right. Why should, why should those people get to pee inside? Why should they get their uh, student loans repaid uh, or canceled? I repaid mine. I worked hard. Exactly. And, I worked hard. Yeah. I mean, my father uh, beat me to within an inch of my life, like weekly. Like why shouldn't all children be right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I grew yes. up on paint chips and gas fumes. <laughs> Stop complaining. Uh, it's a real sicko. It's a sicko world, man. All right, let's move on. Um, it's too depressing. <laughs> Pluto, Karen, Nix, and Hydra. And here is, I mean, this, this whole section that we're reading has so many like resonances and callbacks and call forwards, calls forwards to like New York 2140, Ministry for the Future, Aurora in this yeah. case, right? Um, Nix is being like um, disassembled and processed into four starships, which are to be sent roughly as a group. So like we have like, you know, the intimation of Aurora and yep. how far they all are and just kind of another red flag of like, we're not going there, guys. Right, right, exactly. Like it's too far away. It's going to take 2000 years, even if we went to like the speed of light or like two times the speed of, or 2% of the speed of light. Um, you know, this is our home. So we have to make do. Um, our little pearl of warmth. Our little pearl of warmth. We'll send them to the stars. They will be like dandelion seeds floating away on a breeze. Very beautiful. We will never see them again. And I think that dandelion seeds uh, simile is in Aurora. I think so too. Yeah. 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 That this is an interesting one because it's the like, um, you, you know, it, it's a little bit like the sort of like I I don't know what the right word for this is, but like if you can fool yourself from like you you get a vantage point where you're high up and you look over everything and you're like look it's tidy and there are patterns and, you know, I can understand what's going on. I can see the, I can see the whole and I can, you know, do the God's eye trick, have a little mastery over the whole thing. Um, you know, I can ascend to this height and I can look down at what I see as property. Right. You know, like this is a little bit suggests that that idea of like going to the stars is a kind of like temporal version of that, you know, because like, you, th you think that because you, you know, you think you can imagine 2000 years or whatever, like, but it is just like a complete misunderstanding of like what that, what that means, like for actually existing human beings. Right. You know, right. it has a kind of like, uh, yeah, a looking, a looking from a kind of remove that lets you think like, oh yeah, yeah, we can definitely do that. Yeah. And it's, if this chapter comes at such a, I mean, it come it's a weird spot to put this chapter, right? Yeah. Like, cause it doesn't, I don't, to my mind, to my recollection, it doesn't develop uh, later on. It, there's no callback to it. It's just kind of like break in the action, a snapshot uh, after Swan has been, you know, suffered this rude awakening of like 
this is the situation. We can't terraform Earth. It, it's we're in real bad circumstances, and the only way through it, the only way to beat it is to go through it and to work. Stan, like, break, you know, cut, yeah. uh, um, smash cut to the edge of the solar system. Here's an idea. We find a new place to live, and let's unwind that idea. Let's right. let's play right. that out to the string and see if see how plausible it would be. See how much how easy that would be compared to what we could be doing here. Right. Right. It's impossible. Right. 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 It's not worth thinking about. <laughs> right. 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 And it does it does nothing to solve the actual hard problem. No. That's right. the whole thing. Yes, exactly. You're just running away from the problem yeah. farther. Yes. Like light years away. You're just running away. Um, you know, maybe it would be possible, but is it worth the effort to do to think about when there's so many other solutions, like so much closer to home or so many other like monumental problems that we could just try to tackle here rather than imagine some like fucking Star Trek like universe like going out to yeah, the stars. Yeah, that I mean, and again, it's like a fantasy about just that you can slip out of history. Right. You, know? you could, yeah, you just like, you're going to go so far away that like you won't be bearing that with you anymore. Yeah. It's like a fundamentally like, yeah, settler colonial yeah. fantasy. Like if yeah. I just go across the Atlantic Ocean, I can really build utopia. Right, it's it's terra, it's terra nullius. Terra you know? nullius, like, yeah. And the way that I know it's terra nullius is because I'm here and I just said, oh, it turns out this is mine. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. Pauline on revolution is wonderful. This is a great one of yeah. these charming. Sort of, we learn a lot in this chapter. This is a great chapter. I have a question on the first page, the first paragraph. Mm -hmm. The building was like a single lit corner in a castle of Banksian immensity. What does that mean, Banksian? Who's that refer to? Is that Banksy the artist? I'm trying to find the sentence that you're the bottom of the first paragraph. To. The bottom of the first paragraph. Oh, you know what? Mine says the building was like a single lit corner in a castle of sublime immensity. Mine says Banksian immensity. The ground at the foot of the skyscraper was several kilometers below the ground on the far side of the sun line, only a bit farther away. Banksian immensity. Well, so I would, I mean, I would think Ian Banks, the culture novels, that would be my guess. Oh, okay. That um, would make more sense than Banksy, which was It makes only... more sense than Banksy, I think. Um, Not known for his like uh, immense, immense. You know, monumental art. Yeah. But I wonder why we got sublime changed to banksian just a call out to ian yeah interesting cool sublime hmm. okay oh yeah yeah she's in kind of a weird space she's like, once again it does seem like something that swan does is to like choose not the best terraria to be traveling in. right oh right yeah she never should have come to this one or something yeah like, it's uh, not as bad as the black liner but it still kind of sucks Right. Oh, because it's, yeah, because it's in, she's in a, uh, yeah, speaking of Terra Nullius, she's in a kind of null asteroid that's in yeah. the process of being built. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's kind of bleak. Um, so she gets Pauline to tell her about revolution. And this is one of these great things where she's like, where the character will ask an AI to tell it a, 
to tell the character a story and then complain about the story that's being told to them. And then the computer will say, well, you didn't ask for that. Or like, you have to program me. You have to right, tell me right. what you want in order right. for me to give you what you want. And, you know, that requires the person to know what they want in the first place, which is the most, that's the hardest thing. The question, what's the question to ask? Right. Not the right. answer. What's the question to ask? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, uh, this is, I mean, this is kind of um, Swan asking, like, what is to be done? She wants to know, like, how how can you have a revolution that works? How what what makes you have a revolution, and how can you know how it's going to come out on the other side? Yeah, um, and I love that when she's like really pushing on the like, um, tell you know, tell me something, tell me the she says, um, make up a recipe for a successful revolution. Um, and uh, then she's like, um, give me specifics. I want numbers. And one mm -hmm. of the things that Pauline is like, is like, well, you know, Thomas Carlyle is the French Revolution. That would be interesting. Like a hilarious, I mean, if anybody has read the French Revolution by Thomas Carlyle, like just a completely hilarious thing to be referring to. Like the thesis of which is indeed like, you know, the French are particularly foolish in bed and are quickly seduced by power into insanity. <laughs> You know, like just this like very like grump grumpy, um, you know, reactionary take on that. Yeah. Happiness Quantified is a real book too, by the way. Oh, is it? I looked it up. I I have written in the margin real book. So it must be a real <laughs> book. Um uh but yeah, the yeah, I mean, we have partly too kind of what um, it's part of what Swan I feel like is asking Pauline to do is like resolve Freud into Marx, please. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Because she does give like, a, or Pauline does give a kind of explain like a psychological explanation of certain things as well. Uh, you know, people adhere to ideas that explain and offer psychological compensation for their position in the class system of their time. People either increase their sense of dispossession by clarifying it, or they try to dismiss it as unimportant because of an ideology that justifies their dispossession as part of a larger project. I mean, this is very much like, yeah, explain to me why this, is, why, how we could make it happen and why it hasn't happened already. Like yeah. explain to me like human being. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, under conditions of like artificial scarcity and like power and like drastic, like power differentiation or whatever. Um, and this chapter operates a lot too, like the radio dialogues in ministry is or yeah, it ends yeah. that way a lot. Like, you know, ask me to play chess, um, you know, uh, Swan, if, if only it were chess, that's what I'm after, I guess. If it were chess, what move should I make next? It's not chess. It's not chess. There aren't rules, you know, you want me to tell you the rules, there aren't any. Which is like, I mean, you know, this is like such a, you know, in a, in a, in a like somewhat lighthearted and um, playful form, like a callback to like the question of revolution in the Mars books, right? right. Um, you know, and, and like, um, just like the scene of like utter contingency, you know, um, and, and yeah there which i am um, yeah i mean so interestingly right like swan has like spent this time on earth and like she's like okay things are like really really fucked up here and then she's like you know what i need to know about revolution and she's right 
that is what she needs to know about. But also like <laughs> the chapter is great in terms of de-romanticize, you know, he's a great de-romanticist. So he's like de-romanticizing revolution as well, because like there's this fantasy that I think we all, that probably aff afflicts all like revolutionary movements, which is like, it's gonna, we're gonna do the French revolution again, but it's gonna be good this time. It's yeah. gonna do the, we do the Russian revolution again, but we're gonna, it's gonna work this time. Yeah. Um, and that just, to have that thought and it, it requires you to have an already romanticized, like non-historical view of this like event that right. wasn't, wasn't an event at all. It was like a series of like contingent decisions made by flawed human beings that ended one way instead of another that you then like assign, oh, that's the formula or like you want to draw some truth from it. And maybe there are like kernels of truth to be drawn from it, but the proof that their truth in the, in the last instance is whether they end up working or not or whether they produce some kind of outcome. So you can't out ever know whether the right thing to do is the thing that you're doing right. in the first place. You can only just do it. Right. Right. So it's like a call to, it's like a call to action, um, like thoughtful action, but like stop romanticizing the past. Stop trying to, I don't know. I don't know. Don't hinge all your like hopes on things that worked in the past. Cause they won't necessarily work again in the present or the future. Right. Right. Exactly. And like the mass nature of, uh, of revolution is, is part of what makes it impossible. Part of what makes like thinking that like, you know, um, it can be a chess game, um, like complete, completely wrong, you know, right. like I'm thinking about how, like in, um, uh, in the, in the second Martian revolution, right. Is when like the Mars firsters are, um, they, they start doing like they're, they're blowing some, they're going to blow something up. Right. And like, Anne is trying to stop them. And mm -hmm. like the whole, the whole idea that there is some like, you know, oh, this is just like a debate between like two points of view or, you know, a debate at all, like is gone. Right. You right. know, or, or even in the, like, in the, um, uh, you know, when Arcadi is killed in the first, in the first one, right. It's like, spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, anyway. Anyway, when he's uh, when yeah, I'll put a spoiler alert before this. Thanks. I'll insert yeah, it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, just like make making a, a warning. You can just bleep out the name of the character, but whatever. You know, it's like you know, um, you know the like um, violent violent action has effects that are not controllable, right? Like people respond, don't respond to violence by like, you know, changing their mind about a debate, right? right. Like, um, like they respond to violence with fear or maybe with violence, right? You know, so there, there just is like this, you know, um, uh, yeah, you know, that the kind of like the desire for it to be or have a story can only be like a retrospective, you know, right. and as you were saying, like, probably like romantic version yeah of yeah yeah i mean it, the the yeah the yeah it's it, so much of what afflicts us in general is this kind of yeah like tendency toward just dystopian thinking immediately and you know because bernie wasn't elected then we're doomed or the left is doomed or right, xyz right. is doomed or 
because the green new deal, whatever. And it's like, that's like really not revolutionary thinking at all. That's like counter revolutionary thinking is that like everything is we're all screwed. Completely. Foretold, right. Everything's yeah. foretold. If this one thing had happened, it would have been good. It didn't happen. Right. Therefore everything is bad and there's no point in trying anymore or that. Yeah. There's no, you know, that just doesn't, that's, that's negative. That's negative thinking. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's being too negative. I mean, I think it like, you know, like Stan's recent interviews have been really good about that. Like he, he's kind of been saying, you know, I think he's been getting a lot of guff from people ostensibly on the left who uh, think that he's just being a liberal or like his ideas are mm -hmm. magical thinking or whatever. And it's like, that's also like counterproductive <laughs> to like right, think right. that way. Uh, you have to like listen to the facts on the ground and actually like, you know, we're not going to get a sudden revolution by so that by the time 2030 rolls around, like we're going to have full communism or something like that. No, like, no, no, it's going to take a long time. There's going to be defeats. There's going to be like massive like setbacks. And, but that's the whole point of calling it a struggle. Right, right, right. Lose, 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 win. Right. I was just about, I was thinking, oh, that would be, it would be good to say that right now. And I was about to say, win, 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 lose. <laughs> But that's not what I meant. It's the opposite. I don't. I didn't. Well, that's see the win, 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 lose. That's the Republicans. That's what they're Ooh. gonna experience. Ooh! Wow! Zing! <laughs> Damn! He really <laughs> stuck and it you, to Mitch. If the Republicans lose, everything's gonna be okay. I, that's what I think. That's definitely true. That's definitely true. That's the only thing that matters. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So extracts 11 and then Swan at home. Okay. Extracts 11 is about haste and mistakes. Mistakes. Uh, it's a beautiful chapter. I don't have anything to say about it. I don't have any uh, notes. It just says haste. I don't have anything in particular to say about it. Um, uh, Patience. I mean, I think it resonates with what we were just saying is like, don't be hasty, patience. And also right. like, even when you're trying not to be hasty, you're still going to end up being hasty because you have to, no decision is made with perfect knowledge of all the factors involved. So that from, in retrospect, you know, with hindsight being 2020, you will, you would inevitably look back to the past and say, these people made a hasty decision, but it's like, well, they had to make a decision. So they made the decision and it turned out not to work perfectly. So. Right. Right. And we get kind of another we get like a sort of another take on like uneven development as we see it on earth right. here. We get it associated with like the, the idea that like what is being experienced in space is balkanization, right. Which is like, you know, in which it comes to seem that there are no relations between these like little pods of like human living. And that then gets associated with Island biogeography, which we remember from, we remember from Aurora, right? Producing increasing differentiation, right? So that like the balkanization becomes a kind of like self-fulfilling prophecy in which it becomes increasingly difficult, you know, like not the utopia of utopias, but rather like, you know, these just these little pockets that like have nothing to do with each other are not held, not held together in any kind of way. This beautiful terraria in their thousands, jewel-filled geodes, spinning like tops, hopped out of Pandora's box, never to be recollected, right? 
Um, and that is that kind of, this just, I think goes back to what we were talking about before about like the relation between like um, the adventure, the excitement, you know, the dreaminess of like seeing these little, these little like jewel like life ways um, and like, um, you know, being like brought back to earth, right? Here they are, like just this total diffusal, you know, like uh, that actually can't, they can't exist on their own, right? And they do exist in part, like, because they are like carrying like the life forms of earth, carrying and preserving the life forms of earth, right? Right. Um, and then from there, we go to another little jeweled box to Terminator um, uh, being rebuilt. And it's just the, the opening of this is, um, or the, the this moment from the opening, in some ways it was much the same. They had used 3D printers to make reproductions of everyone's furniture. So her little room lay, her room lay in a little uncanny valley of its own and had to her the feel of a reconstructed room in Pompeii. I mean, like, yipes. Wow. Creepy. (laughs) Also, like, just hilarious to be like, well, how do you make reparations, right? You got to make it the same. So get the, get 3D printing of the, of the furniture, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, she, and yet, nevertheless, it is home to her. Right, right. Um, it, it, it's still Terminator, even though it's going to go through all these differences. They're building a new, like, soil matrix or whatever. And, um, the farm has always sort of been her home. Um, and, and, but the, but the science has advanced so much that she can't actually help with any of the science. She can only help with kind of the grunt work in a way, but still she's peppered with questions by the people who are building it anew. And it's like, they say, do you have, did you have a theory? Why this way? Why that? She floated possible answers when she couldn't remember the old reasons. Mostly it had been a matter of space considerations and doing things to keep things going. Was it ever, was it ever any different? material constraints, budget issues, diseases, but seldom a matter of efficient design or of an inherent cause. So again, it's like going back to this kind of thing of there are reasons that you act in the present that people can like be mad at you for both in the present and in the future. But at the end of the day, you have to just make a decision. You can't just sit there arguing about it all the time and you'll never make a decision in like perfect knowledge of all the factors involved. So everything tends to be ad hoc. Um, and placing like some faith in like an AI or a cube or a computer or a formula is, you know, is exactly just that placing your faith there. It's not, it's also going to be imperfect and you're just going to have to live with it. And it seems like that that's kind of nicely played out here in the way in which we get the kind of like, um, uh, you know, just, just a little bit about like, um, you know, the nitrogen cycle, right. And like the sort of like emergence of like, uh, so here, um, part of what's, part of what's happened since like Swan was like, um, working on this in the first place is that they've managed to like produce plants that like, um, can grow incredibly, um, incredibly quickly, right. 30 times faster than they would in the natural world. So you can produce just like this vast amount of crops Um, But what that requires then, of course, is like much more attention to the soil, right? Because like to keep, to keep the soil, like being sufficiently fertile means, you know, like 
I mean, which is, all, which is of course always the case, right? Like, you know, no matter, even if you're doing it in the quote natural way, like the, the soil's fertility still like, um, decrease, right. Decreases over time, but it, but it's this, but I think that there's a kind of like parallel there to like, okay, you know, you can get plants to like behave in these different kinds of ways. Um, but there are certain metabolic processes still have to be attended to. Right. And like the consequence of doing that with the plants is actually like, um, the need for like, I would assume extremely increased attention to the soil and that's also become more complicated because the last time they did it, they were allowed to take large amounts of topsoil from earth and that no longer. So here they really are. I mean, as we see like um, in the Mars books too, like soil is have, is something that has to be made, you know, right. like this thing that we think of as just like the most basic given of earth right here, they have to make it and they have to right. keep, make sure that it can keep like reproducing itself. Right. We take it for granted so much. We walk on it. We stomp all over it with our dirty feet. Our dirty feet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's a very ground, it's a, in a certain way, oddly, paradoxically, it's a very grounding chapter because she's at home, she's building soil uh, and she reflects on, you know, on Terminator on my, on my 341, a couple paragraphs after what you just read. And the whole thing, if halted, would burn to a crisp, and under it all ran a horrible black tunnel, a cloacal umbilicus running back to some original sin. Yes, this was her world, all right, a ride into the dark and the stars on tracks she couldn't easily leave. She was a citizen of Terminator, living in a little green bubble, of, little bubble of green, gliding over a black and white world. Like, really good metaphor there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really nice, like, image. Yeah. Um, and she has this encounter with Makaret that's really interesting too, because he has studied her blood and determined that the Enceladin sweet that she ingested really saved her from um, radiation, dying of radiation poisoning. Um, and not only that, but that they've learned a lot from this experience that indicates a a, a, a major leap forward in like these longevity treatments is in the offing. So again, we have the very common Robinsonian image of the person who could live for a thousand years. Yeah. And here it's in a really, really tender moment. Like I feel like it's a really sort of deep moment here because in the Mars books, it was this kind of, you know, it was, the, it was Sachs and John Boone and the scientists themselves discovering this process and maybe Vlad and I don't remember all the other characters. Yeah, yeah. They're discovering this process. It was kind of like so exciting. Like we might be able to live for a thousand years. Yay. Oh my God. This is so cool. Here Makaret, who is significantly older than Swan and won't and is her grandfather and won't live to see this. He's telling her that, you know, and it, it's doubly ironic because it's something that it's a result of something she did that he didn't approve of that right, he still right. doesn't approve of, but nevertheless has given them this breakthrough. He tells her almost with like tears in his eyes, you might live to be a thousand years old. So, you know, take care of yourself. Yeah. Because that's a gift that you don't want to give up. Right. It's really um, very, very touching. He gave her a hug that was gentle, even a little tentative as if she might break or was poisonous, <laughs> like so weird, so kind of interesting. Cause he's really looking at a possible 
alien. I mean, in a yeah. real way. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. A person, a person who lives for a thousand years, can they really be called a human being anymore? Or like, are they so, spe you know, as if she might break or she was poisonous is this kind of very like, talk about speciating, like yeah, that is yeah. speciating. Yeah. So he's really looking at a new, potentially a new life form here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's extraordinary. And also how crazy, you know, like, I feel like you don't really, I don't know. I don't feel like this is the uh, true and my life but like this is like this moment in which we think well like swan has like pitched her life toward thinking she's going to live a certain number of years right and she has a little bit of a like you know live fast she's not going to die young but you know what i mean like she's a, she's she's going at it hard she's doing everything you know like and then all of a sudden you're getting like oh no it's actually going to be like what like another like 800 years or something like that i mean that that's like wild and then like what do you do with your life then you're well, like she'll finally right? she'll finally get to read um proust <laughs> exactly she, you know what you'd have plenty of time to get interested in the pseudo iterative <laughs> think of how many more books carl uv nausgaard could write if he had 800 <laughs> more years to live also, like, you know, were, did you, were you sort of mulling over this, like, romance with this kind of, like, slightly awkward toad man? Hey, guess what? That's going to last for 800 years. <laughs> well, we already know that these relationships don't last that long, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just like that. It's like, like, what a crazy, it's like, to have, like, the scale problem in your own life, you know? I would love to, I, we've been watching, um, old we've been watching Seinfeld and I just imagine like Larry David at like <laughs> 700 years old running into a woman he dated when he was like 410 being like oh my god get me yeah. out of this party I can't talk to her and I mean but I think you're right also that it's so it's so interesting that it is presented in this like personal and warm yeah moment of like the last I mean you know she has ex-partners and she has a child right who am but like you know she doesn't seem like she has like a ton of people who she's super close to you know or and and even the people who are really friendly to her when she like lands on an ascension that she designed mm -hmm. or people she meets who have witnessed some of her art and they're like, Oh my gosh, Swan, you're here. Oh, can we ask you questions about this thing you did? And she's like, fuck, no, I don't want to talk about that shit with you losers. <laughs> like maybe a bad attitude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and to hear, you know, like to have the kind of, I don't know. I mean, it is touching like, yeah. That thought about like him, like registering her as having become something different. Because, yeah, what would it be like to be around people who are going to live that long? Just go hang out with Bill Gates for 10 minutes and you'll you'll know what it's like to live that. for a long time. <laughs> long time. <laughs> Let him just talk to you about education policy in Africa for yeah. half a second. You'll... Horrible person. You'll wish you were dead. Um <laughs> I love how it sounds like you're talking from like an actual experience of having been forced to hang out with Bill Gates. Listen, oh, me and Bill, so we go boring. way, <laughs> me and Bill go way back. We should get him to fund this podcast. That'd be great. Yeah. I don't even, 
I don't need his dirty money. I, you know what? I would take his fucking dirty money if it meant we didn't have to have jobs. Would you take Tom Hanks's money? Oh yeah, I'd take Tom Hanks's money. Okay, all right, just making sure. I won't shake his hand, but I'll take his money. I mean, you mocked me for soliciting donations <laughs> from Tom Hanks a few years ago. But this is a much more plausible project. Bill Gates? Oh yeah, the Gates yeah. Foundation. They just yeah, hand exactly. out money like it's candy, like it's money. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Why wouldn't they want to fund a podcast about You know, something? I mean, you know, Stan is really down on the billionaires and how they're failing us. And I feel like one way they could stop failing us would be to fund the podcast so that you and I would never have to work again. Yeah, exactly. I really so, think so. Yeah, Bill, Elon. Elon, it's all fun and games. It's just jokes, it's just jokes yeah, about- Yeah, right, right. You get it. You got thick skin, Elon. We love you, babe. Yeah, we love you, babe. <laughs> Okay, extracts 12. We get some totality here. We get some like Jamesonian totality uh, contemplation, correct? Yes, we do. Uh, um, the, the way that this section moves through just really amazing, like really thick keywords and or like keywords, I mean, like, you know, concepts. Uh, we could like talk about for hours, I feel like in this one yeah. extract. Yeah, um, no, there's, there's a lot. There is it, a lot. It's, there. it's tremendous. It's just really great. Um, I mean, I think this is kind of a nice, like, um, you know, can there be a study of the totality to history, philosophy, cosmology, science, and literature, each claim to constitute the totality, an unexpandable horizon beyond which we cannot think, which is like a nice definition there, right? You know, um, could a strong discipline be defined as one that has a vision of totality and claims to encompass all the rest? And are they all wrong to do so? So it's like a kind of question about like, you know, this is a question about knowledge, like knowledge projects themselves, right? You know, right. and like what the, the, what sorts of claims to knowledge get staked by like what particular kinds of fields. And then we have, is the totality simply praxis, meaning what we do with ourselves and the world? Is there no such thing as totality, but only convergence? And we might think they're also like con contingency too, right? That comes that then comes together, convergence of all our fields of thought into human actions. Yeah, this is like an interesting, you know, it uh, it it definitely like um, plays off things that we've been thinking about, but it asks us these questions about like what is the kind of knowledge produced by like the natural sciences? What is the kind of knowledge produced by like fields in the humanities? Like you know, can any of them stake a claim to the whole? Um, and then right at the end, we get these mirror, these mirror arguments rebounded back and forth for a long time, not just in the dithering, but all the way in the balkanization and the fateful year. Again, we hear that it's a fateful year, 2312, right? right. Still like not, don't totally know why it is a fateful year. And in the previous chapter, um, uh, there's a mention like Swan has sp spends many months on Terminator while they're growing soil. There's the phrase many months there. So like many months later, she could be walking through and there would be, so it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. again, like how much time is passing in this book and are all the events occurring in the year 2312 right. or are they prelude to, I mean, I guess they are because the beginning of the novel is like the year 2312, but whatever, yeah. I don't know. So anyway, it's like, again, it's, it's a fateful year. And so humanity hung suspended in the face of its unenacted project, 
they knew, but they didn't act. I mean, this is just like, you know, back to the dithering, right? But also back to that stuff, like from the Swan on Earth chapter about, um, you know, it's not like these problems are like new or mysterious, you know, um, uh, the reader may scoff at them, but it takes courage to act and perseverance too. Indeed, if the reader's own time is still imperfect, and I like how this voice then just like suddenly creeps in here. And then it's like, what book is this actually being extracted from, right? Indeed, if the reader's own time is still imperfect, though it be ever so long after the time described here, the author would not be surprised to hear it. You know, we get this like little like, um, whatever, like slightly Victorian kind yeah. of, yeah. <laughs> Very much Victorian. I was going to say, yeah, Victorian. I was going to say like very 19th century kind of like winking, yeah. wink to the reader. Yes. I love this extract because it's like, it's written at a time after 2312 for an audience after, after the after 2312 ostensibly, but it's really written like, this is again, like flashing lights, um, you know, humanity yeah. wake up, like act, act. this is your situation. It, this is your situation will ever be thus. You will not, you know, like praxis, praxis, praxis. Right, right. Like you won't have perfect knowledge of any of this stuff. And all of human knowledge is going to be really important from the physical sciences to the arts and humanities. All of that is going to be necessary. And no one individual or AI is going to be able to explain all of it to you. You have to do it together collaboratively. It's going to be a huge fucking mess, but get on with it. <laughs> right. Right. But none of us, none of it will mean anything unless like there's action, right? Yeah. You can, yeah. They knew, but they didn't act. You know, you can read as much Marx as you want, but that's not action. Reading yeah. Marx isn't action. Yeah. That said, I'm probably going to read all of Capital next year, I think. I think that's a good idea. That's my project for next year. That seems good. Yeah. Why not? Hey, why not? It's a good read. Good read. Good book. Our, That's a good book. Our friend Tristan from the Better Red Than Dead podcast uh, has been reading it and he's loving it. It's uh, a page turner. I, I strongly recommend uh, the Michael Heinrich introduction to all three volumes of Capital. Right. I have that on a PDF and I started reading it, but um, wait, it's no, great. do I have that one? Yeah, That's I think good. I do. It's quite good. Okay. Great convo. Great convo. <laughs> Congratulations us. Uh. Well done listeners for listening to all of that. Oh. Again, we're at two hours again, I think. Yeah. A over two. Yeah. I think I'm comfortable with this length. Uh, I, you know, it's kind of, it's enjoyable. <laughs> I don't this know is a really, I mean, we say this for every novel, this, every Kim Stanley Robinson novel, this is a really fucking good novel. It really is. It really is. And there, it's just like, there's a lot to chew on. It's a very thick, yeah, chewy novel. Yeah. It's really, really good. Yeah. It's really good. And it has like just all of these like little things in the way that it's constructed that like, you know, I only notice when we start talking about it. Like, you know, I haven't noticed it on my first read or my second read, but like, yeah. you know, yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. That's cool. Our, okay. Well, we'll see you uh, whenever the next time is. We'll, yeah, we will see you when we see you. Well, you will hear us. We won't ever see you, hopefully. <laughs> I don't need to answer any of your fucking questions about my podcast. Just like Swan and her ascensions. You're always being chased down when you're in, in a terrarium. People are always like, Matt, Matt, how do you Sometimes do it? Sometimes I feel like I'm living in a terrarium. Oh boy. <laughs> I don't know what that means. 
just don't know what that means either. Okay. Uh, but thank you everybody for listening. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. Oh, you Bye. can, um, whatever. Rate and review Bye. us. Rate yeah, and rate and review, and review iTunes, email. Uh, email us. No one ever does. It doesn't matter. Tweet. Actually, no, we got two really good emails. We got yeah. two really good emails this past week. Great. Thank you so much for that. And yeah, that was awesome. you love it when you email us. And yeah. And yeah. Hillary does email you back. Max, Max, I'm going to write you back. I, yeah. your, your email was fantastic as always. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.